Welcome back, folks, to MMA BJJ and Life. I'm your host, DJ San Marco, coming to you live from Laguna. Well, excuse me, coming to you recorded live from Laguna Niguel, California. It has been a minute since uh, I've talked to you guys. I've had some uh, issues with my software. Uh, I'm not going to throw them under the bus or give me good support, but you heard the very tinny, echoey sound when I'd have a guest on. And I'm working with uh, the support at uh, this uh, software company to uh, get that squared away so that you guys get good, clear uh, audio on both sides. Um, I believe that's achievable. Um, This software does have a lot of functionality, but um, I just don't understand it all. They don't give you great instruction with it, so you have to hit up support. But anyway, uh, it is a beautiful day on May 18th here. And I want to hit up some topics with you. We might get a little angry. We might get a little agitated. um, But we'll also have a couple laughs as well. Just talk some MMA news. We'll review uh, some things that happened. And um, and, uh, in UFC 210. And we'll... We might even take a look, a quick look at 211, but I'll hopefully by then I'll have everything sorted out and be able to bring you a guest on to uh, analyze that. Uh, so, by the way, I'm also going to give you guys uh, the link, or I'm going to give you a shout out to um, Eugene S. Robinson and Knuckle Up, uh, the podcast on Bloody Elbow. I like all those three amigos. Uh, if I did it, with Nate uh, Wilcox, Eugene, and Alexi Odd, who is an attorney in D.C. Uh, Kid Nate uh, has been around forever around MMA, and of course Eugene, it's phenomenal. And then Knuckle Up, and there's an episode post-209 where he talks about the whole, makes a lot of analogies to why the Woodley Thompson fight turned out as it did, and the Rashad and Dan Kelly fight, and just... A lot of things he makes a lot of really funny really great really true analogies this is to me is is hall of fame worthy podcast gold absolute podcast gold so if you google knuckle up ufc 209 and listen you'll thank me because you're likely going to laugh your ass off you're going to be informed as to the psyche of fighters, why they go for it, why some don't go for it, what dynamics uh, change that, and what things in their lives, in their career, in their financial career change all that, and how that they perform. It manifests itself in their performance in the cage. So, um, Google UFC two, uh, knuckle up UFC two hundred nine. Listen to Eugene S. Robinson break it down. He's he's incredible. He's just he really is. Okay, but that aside, um, I want to begin this show with a mea culpa, and that mea culpa is all about uh, my assurance that Yair Rodriguez would beat Frank Edgar, and I was wrong about that, and I want to just talk about that a little bit, but I was I was wrong, and, and, and here's what I want to say. In the building of... Well, in me looking at fighters and saying that they are a can't-miss champion from fight one in the UFC, there were certain elements that had to be in place. And 
probably the most important element that had to be in place was wrestling. And not necessarily that they were a black belt in jiu-jitsu. In fact, John Jones is a white belt. Um, I don't know what belt Khabib is and really don't care. Um, and though I am a jiu-jitsu practitioner and someone who loves jiu-jitsu um, in my life, John Jones was able to control where a fight was going to go. And when I compared Yair to John Jones, so John Jones basically, I mean, he could take you down, he could smash you with elbows, he had these array of kicks, spinning kicks and teep kicks, leg kicks, all different kinds of kicks that he got through training Taekwondo growing up, and he was just absolutely phenomenal. Plus, when you add his spinning elbow game that would make any Muay Thai practitioner proud to see the elbows that John Jones throw are just incredible. They're beyond anybody else's elbows, I think. All apologies to Kenny Florian and, and many others. Um, but the thing that made John so special that I didn't attribute when I, I didn't consider when I attributed his skills to Yair was the fact that he could control where the fight would go. So much so that when he fought a Daniel Cormier, you know, an Olympic level wrestler, he still was able to control uh, where the fight went, which is, you know, just another thing what's so phenomenal about, um, about Daniel. Excuse me about uh, about John. You know, is that he was able to bring in Ed Ruth and other uh, training partners to train wrestling, and he got his wrestling to such a level, given what he had done in college, and then just refined over at Jackson's and his natural gifts. Then a lot of people thought that he could have been a national champion in in Greco-Roman wrestling, and um, then he got it to such a level that he took Cormier down more than Cormier took him down, and and Daniel has Olympic medals hanging around his neck. So, that said, in evaluating Yair, I really overlooked that aspect of his game because he had not really been taken down and dominated. John hasn't spent, I don't think he spent more than a minute on his back in his entire UFC career, to be honest with you. Um, and that right there is something that you know, someone that would want to play guard and play close guard. You have to be like somebody, and I'll foreshadow that we're going to talk about Joanna Yinjacek. You have to be somebody that won't accept being taken down when you have the type of game, offensive game, that John Jones has. And even Daniel, when he took him down, he popped right back up, just like Joanna did when she was taken down many times by Jessica, not so much with Claudia, sometimes with Claudia, but but definitely with Jessica, couldn't hold her down for a, for a minute in the entire fight. So um, I was wrong in attributing John Jones' skills to Yair because he's missing one central ingredient, and something that Coach Luttrell has said over and over in assessing uh, Izzy Martinez, his wrestling coach. If you look at it, the people who can't wrestle. He hasn't really made their wrestling considerably better. If you attribute Izzy Martinez to John Jones, I mean, you're kidding yourself. John Jones was a great wrestler before he ever even walked in Jackson's and before Clay Guida brought Izzy Martinez down there. Um, it is not 
something that you would look at Izzy Martinez and go, or or John Jones and go, wow, Izzy made him a great. He was already a great wrestler. Um, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Izzy. I'm going off of things I've been told from people that were in the room uh, in Albuquerque. So um, uh, take that for what it's worth. Um, so I was incorrect. And Yair, all that said, I'm sure Izzy Martinez has the tools between his own coaching and probably people that he knows and training partners to get Yair to that level, I hope, where, I mean, if Donald Cerrone can did it, certainly Yair Rodriguez can do it, but it took Donald Cerrone a long time and it took until he was ready to focus on it. He had brought in Jafari um, Veneer and Carrie Veneer into his camp from Minnesota. They lived at the ranch and it wasn't until he was ready to focus on it and put the time into it that his wrestling got to where it is now, where he's taking wrestlers down. They're not taking him down. And then he pounds on him, and then he can even submit him. He has a you know a complete game um, in a certain context. Obviously, taking down someone like a, a Jorge Masvidal is extremely difficult. You have to be very, very technical and, and chain wrestle basically to get him down. And that's something that Cerrone hasn't really got yet. He's gotten the timed double leg, the duck under, uh, where you're coming forward. He throws a combination. He changes level. You, you return fire. And as you're returning fire, much like George St. Pierre, he ducks under and he'll, and he'll turn the corner on a double leg on you. Um, yeah, like he did to Rick Story, etc., like George St. Pierre did to Johnny Hendricks, etc. There's very little effort involved because the guy's coming forward trying to take your head off and you just duck under and take him down. So I shouldn't say there's a little effort involved, but it's a timing type of a takedown. But it's not easy to get that against a George Masvidal when he knows what you're going to do and he's very, very good defensively. That's why Damian Maya had to chain together three or four things in, in order to get George to the ground. Uh, so that said, so there's my mea culpa complete. I still think Yair is amazing. I still think he has to put together a volume of kicks and kick you in the head and kick you in the face and all the things that he did to all the other guys that he fought, but he needs to chain them together early and often, and certainly he's got to work on his wrestling. And, and, and another thing, if you're going to sit there and play closed guard in MMA, and you heard Joe Rogan uh, talk about this on the broadcast. If you're going to sit there and play closed guard in MMA, your name better be something like Brian Ortega. Your name better be Courtney Casey. Um, your name better be, um, you know, uh, Serginho or, or somebody like that, um, you know, or a, a Leo Santos. You better not, you know, the average guy, uh, guy or gal who's even a black belt in the UFC. Even you wouldn't see Claudia playing closed guard. You're not going to play closed guard in the UFC unless you have an outstanding guard with a lot of submissions. I think you saw Jason Knight do it the other day, you know, working a meat hook and then working a gogo plata. And, all, you know, if you can do those sorts of things, you can play some closed guard. But if you're going to sit there and close guard, you know, you can even see a black belt like Formiga, you know, getting all banged up just sitting in closed guard. You can't do that. You have to get your foot in on the person's hips. You can't worry about them passing. You got to push away and do a technical lift and stand up. This is we're talking Gracie Baja, um, you know, week one kind of stuff that you're going to learn doing a technical lift. 
you have to try those types of things to scramble to your feet you cannot sit there with a closed guard and think you're just gonna um, you know you're gonna go for a couple of arm bars on Frankie Edgar and things like that you have to be have an outstanding guard to do that so all that said um, mea culpa for proclaiming um, a Yair the next John Jones and obviously he's got to really really get to town on his wrestling uh, in order to have any shot of of winning in those divisions where even Jose Aldo could have taken him down uh, who's not the wrestler that Frank Edgar is but he could have taken him down and, and beat him up as he did to um, Mark Hominick if you remember all those years ago uh, so going on with the uh, the rest of the card um, so um, you know Stipe Miocic against Junior Dos Santos as uh, as the, the followers are knuckle up and Eugene S. Robinson called the Lost Battalion um, he is perhaps the commander of the Lost Battalion in Junior Dos Santos and this is what a lot of you guys don't get you sit there and look at a fighter and see you know he looks good he's down in Florida he looks in shape he looks tan and you know what all that means it means nothing it means absolutely nothing because all that matters in this context is that um, is is what that guy has shown you in terms of his chin and all those sorts of things uh, that, that you see that you've seen in these fights you see that okay so he got a kicking game going so that's really nice so that's coming way late that he started to work a calf kick and believe you me folks if you don't think he could have landed three or more of those and debilitated Stipe's leg he could have and I'm here to tell you Stipe's legs are not conditioned for leg kicks um, and his calves he will get smashed it's not going to be like you kicking Edson Barbosa in the leg or Paul Felder or these guys are or Cowboy Cerrone or Jose Aldo these guys whose legs are conditioned for leg kicks you're talking Uriah Faber like stuff here guys and if Junior would have been able to stay standing somehow go clinch uh, drive off the fence and get into a clinch in the middle of the cage with with Stipe whatever he needed to do other than having Stipe expertly cut off the cage on him and pop him and drop him the way that he did he does that and hits a few more of those kicks and Stipe's done he can't plant anymore on that leg and you saw the beginnings of it and you didn't get to see the end of it because Junior's chin can't hold up and that's why he's in the knuckle up lost battalion um, and, and I told you, I told you guys that the fight was a guy in Santa Monica named Fabricio Verdum. That's the fight. That's the guy with a complete set of skills. Did he do st something stupid against Stipe also and get caught? Yeah. Are other guys, could he get Kane like that? Yeah, but guess what? Kane's going to come across that cage and clinch with you right away. He's not. He's going to spend very little time exchanging punches with um, with uh, Stipe. He's going to throw a couple of combinations. He's going to throw a high kick. He's going to throw a body kick, and then he's going to clinch with him and put him against the cage. And then he's going to see how well Stipe can fight off the cage, and he's going to tire those arms out. Okay, and that's something that you got to think about when you're a Junior Dos Santos or that type of guy. 
what did Greg Jackson show you all those years ago against BJ Penn? And we're going back to something like 2009 or whatever the hell it was. He goes, we're going to push him against the cage. We're going to make him wrestle with us. Greco-Roman style wrestling against the cage. And we're going to get all that blood flowing through his arms. And then when he finally does get off the cage, he's not going to have any pop in his hands. And that's exactly the type of thing that you would want Junior's team to do against Stipe. I love the leg kicks. The leg kicks were brilliant. The leg kicks would have worked. But his chin couldn't hold up long enough for the leg kicks to work. So when I talk to fighters, you know, on the times when I have done strategies uh, with fighters and coaches and I've done um umpteen of those over the years um, behind the scenes I talk about a multi-tiered attack a multi-tiered attack not oh I'm gonna go wrestle him gonna take him down and that's how I'm gonna win okay and what if that doesn't work what is the next step if that doesn't work what's plan B is was Junior's plan I'm gonna leg kick him and then I'm gonna knock him out Maybe, but what kind of chin has Junior shown to be able to stand up to that? And is he going to be able to circle off the cage, or is he just going to shuffle side to side with a guy that has the athletic quickness and footwork of a Stipe Miocic that he can cut you off? A guy that has amateur Golden Gloves type boxing experience that knows how to cut off the cage. That's what happened there. So the leg kick game didn't work. So can we wrestle with him? Can we try to can we try to get Stipe against the cage? Try to run him into the cage and make him wrestle against the cage a little bit. Take some of that pop out of his hands. Or do you want to go at it and exchange with him in the first round when he's got a ton of pop in his hands and then you take a shot and you find out, I just went to sleep. He put... Junior to sleep. He put Mark Hunt to sleep. He's put a number of guys to sleep. He put Overeem to sleep. So we know that early in the fight, he's dangerous. When Junior went five, five rounds with him, what happened? He won. Because he took some of that juice out of Miocic's hands and made him go the long haul, the 25-minute haul. The guy's a firefighter. He has a regular job. Certainly, he's training a lot. I'm certain, I mean, a firefighter's a great job because of the fact that you have, like, um, something like uh, 48 hours on and 48 off or 72 hours off, whatever it is. They have a they have a good shift where when um, they're... Uh, you know, they can work out on duty if there's no calls, and then when they're not on duty, obviously they have a couple of days off to train, and I'm sure it's it's perfect uh, for a fighter. Uh, if any job is perfect for a fighter, that's it. So, um, not very smart. Well, I shouldn't say, I, you know, I don't know if that was the best game plan on on the, the part of the coaches at ATT. In turn, you know, because you have to have a multi-tiered approaches. I love the fact, and I think he could have kicked Miocic's leg off, and he could have stopped him with leg kicks, but not in the first round. 
and a sense of urgency is what you saw when you saw Miocic um, get kicked in the leg a few times. He knew it was hurt. Of course, he, dec- you know, he he sort of decried that after the fight that that was a factor, but I'm sure it was because you could see it. Um, and that could have been a factor if we could have gone later in the rounds. If if the prior uh, junior who had fought him the five rounds would have leg kicked him, he might have stopped him instead of winning a decision. But he wasn't using leg kicks then, so I'm really glad that Cattell Kubis uh, and the striking guys at ATT now have him with a well-rounded attack instead of just being a boxer. Because to me, just being a boxer in MMA is bullshit. Um, and it works for some guys, and boy, your hands better be amazing if you're that guy. You can ask Mo Wall. you can ask him where his career went after um, he he tried to emulate Floyd Mayweather, train with Floyd Mayweather, etc., and then uh, where his striking game went. It's a multi-tiered kickboxing sort of approach. You Look at Tyron Woodley. Guy's got amazing hands and great hand speed, but he will kick you in the leg and smash your leg into next week. Ask Carlo, Carlos Condit about it. A great kicker himself. But he got kicked in the side of the knee and it tore his knee up. Uh, but Tyron Woodley can throw beautiful leg kicks and it, it makes him all the more dangerous. All right, let's move on to the co-main event of the evening, the amazing, the incredible Joanna Yenjecek versus Jessica Andrade or Jessica Andrade, if you're from where my uh, my wife's from in Brazil. Um, amazing. Um, as I said on Twitter, I couldn't have more respect for a fighter than I have for Jessica Andrade. She is so tough to be able to go against an incredible Ioana Jacek and absorb the kind of punishment, head kicks, kicks to the face, um, so many combinations. I don't have the punch stats in front of me, but just a dizzying array of punches and kicks um, she absorbed and was able to push through all the way to the fifth round. It's just incredible. So I'm going to see if I can find it here. Let's see. Joanna Jessica fight stats. Let's see if it's if it's there. She landed several hundred punches there's sure dog uh, I should put punch stats into Google and see if I can if I can bring this up but oh fight metric there it is okay so um there it is okay So is 225 to 83 strikes landed. Uh, so jo- Joanna, 285 strikes to 83 for Jessica Andrade. With Stipe and Junior, it was 26 strikes to 12 for um, Junior Dos Santos. So that just gives you an idea of of the onslaught. As far as Joanna and Jacek, um so, you know, for Jessica, I mean, she's going to go back down. She's going to fight some of the other contenders. I think she'll match up well against most of them. She looked tiny in there against Joanna. She looked like mini-me in there against Joanna. I mean, 
and now like looking like Claudia looks big next to this girl now that I think about how small she is um, that's a big disadvantage it's her tenacity her toughness she took the leg kick she only switched a few times she absorbed a, a lot of leg kicks I mean there's no two ways about it she she absorbed a lot of leg kicks um, which is incredible Jessica's an incredibly tough girl but Joanna is just a master of fight sports I mean if if she were Russian they would call her a master of fight sports um, her I mean I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna sit there and break down her her game it's just incredible her combinations her hands her kicks the creativity their elbows she's absolutely incredible and something that I've I've spoken with uh, you know Claudia's coach coaches about uh, because I'm friends with her coach uh, Chris Luttrell is the time to get Joanna was before was a year ago year ago July when they fought in Vegas because now she's at ATT she's got even better coaching than she was getting in Poland in terms of her wrestling and things like that and how to integrate it all into MMA she's at a premier facility she has tons of training partners male and female uh, mostly male but but she's got tons there she's got tons of attention that they'll center around her even though they have a lot of fighters at ATT she's the champ so she's gonna draw a lot of attention and her the, the way that she's able to to stand up when when she's taken it she literally pops up as soon as she hits the ground there's no hesitation in her popping back up and they must have worked on that at nauseum because Jessica rarely could get in any kind of a position she's constantly standing up and defending herself and keeping you away and it's just unbelievable and she's gotten better than she was and she was good at it against Claudia and she's even better now and her cardio is even better so you know now you know you know like in Claudia's case she's training at altitude that's gonna help her at 5,000 feet you're gonna need it because she went five now it's now granted guys it's easier to go five rounds when you're kicking somebody's ass than when you're getting your ass kicked so yeah she's throwing five rounds worth of combinations but there wasn't a ton of wrestling and she was able to exit nearly every clinch with an elbow elbowing Jessica in the face can't believe her face didn't look worse and so there wasn't a ton of wrestling in there to tire her out wrestling against the cage and definitely not on the floor because every time she was taken down she got right back up she got back up before Jessica could even put weight on her on the ground and believe me when her and Claudia fight again she's gonna try to do the same thing it's gonna have to be an extreme amount of creativity to get her to do that uh, to get to get Claudia to be able to hold her down and create any kind of a platform from which she can strike very difficult Unbelievable, Joanna and Jacek, very worthy of all of the accolades that she has gotten and will continue to get. Um, somebody else worthy of a ton of accolades is are actually both these guys, Demi and Maya and Jorge Masvidal. This was a masterful performance by both guys. Um, Demi and Maya, over the course of three rounds, only absorbed. 20 or he landed 23 strikes uh, Jorge Masvidal landed 39 just short of 40 which is amazing it was a split decision win very very close so uh, Damian Maya got four takedowns and he passed 
uh, three times. And that was the difference in the fight. That was what won him the fight. And it was still very close because George Masvidal landed a lot of strikes in that fight. Uh, great kicks. Very, very dangerous. And if there's one thing I think, you know, and I'm, I'm going to be critical here. The one thing I think Damian Maia, and for, for Jorge Masvidal, I really don't have any criticism for you at all. None for him. He did the best that anybody has done against Damian Maia lately. And he did it very well. He was in very bad positions. Never lost his cool. And being a jiu-jitsu player myself, I, the positions he was in, you make one mistake, he's got your back, and, and you're choked out. I mean, it was... And with a guy, the level of Damian Maia on your back, it's nothing short of incredible. For Damian, I mean, the, the only criticism I have is that his cardio was not good. He looked very worn out. He looked very tired. And he was not able to push and really switch positions enough to make George Masvidal make a mistake. He got into positions and kind of hung there. And his hand, he got very tired. He got more tired hand fighting for a Mataliao, for a rear naked choke, than what Jorge Masvidal did defending it. So I think that's really something that that um, Damian Maya needs to to look at is his cardio because his cardio was not great in in this fight and it didn't look like he was pushing the pace trying to get um, George Masvidal to make a mistake. If you compare it to the Gunnar Nelson fight, he was much much more effective. His cardio was much better and and I think it's something they really need to look at going into a fight because and I'll tell you if if the bald one is uh, the Eugene Robinson calls him Dana White the bald one if he keeps his promise and Damian Maya gets that fight he is gonna have such a difficult time trying to take down um, trying to take down um, uh, Tyron Woodley I really really think this is a not a good match for him and it's not something that I think um, it's going to come easily for him. I, I really, really worry about that. Um, he's just... Tyron is very difficult to take down. He hits with a lot of power. And he really only needs to hit you once. And it's all over. You know, George Masvidal is not really known for knocking. I mean, he can knock you out. But this guy, Tyron Woodley, hits you. And it's it's all over. So, I don't think it's a great matchup for Damian Maia. I really don't. Um, we'll see. He's going to train with all the best jiu-jitsu guys, and um, and uh, he'll be prepared. So I would expect Tyron Woodley to win that fight. Uh, moving along, we already talked a little bit about Frankie Edgar, and um, Frankie Edgar was phenomenal. It was just like he did to Cub Swanson, that which I thought he couldn't do, he did do. And Yair, I mean, he really, really has to get a grip on what his jiu-jitsu game is, what he has to do jiu-jitsu-wise to complement his striking game. It's not enough to know jiu-jitsu. It's, it's to say, what do I need to do if I'm taken down to get back to my feet? Am I going to sit there and try to hit the guy with elbows from the bottom, a la um, uh, Carlos Condit or Tim Means or any of the guys from, uh, from Fit NHB in Albuquerque? Is that what you're going to try to do? Because I'll tell you, 
I don't think that's going to be successful against a great ground and pounder. It would not be successful against a Uriah Faber or a TJ Dillashaw or, um, um, in this case, a Frank Edgar. I mean, it's not going to, or Chad Mendez. That's not going to happen. It's all about standing up is the thing. You saw McGregor, when McGregor went to close guard, he got beat up in the first round, I think, of that fight. And then you saw in the second round he was walking back on his hands, doing a lot more like Joanna Yanjacek, and that's how he was able to escape the clutches of a tired and out of shape Chad Mendez because he came in on 11 days' notice, and then he got control of the fight. So for Yair, you have to know what you want to do to further your game plan and your strategy. It's not enough to know jiu-jitsu and know how to wrestle and know how to be the most amazing striker we've seen below 205 pounds and I don't know how long Yair is. He's just unbelievable. But you have to be able to put those things together and say, if I get taken here, this is what I'm trying to do. But I'm not going to sit there and lock my legs around his back and close my legs. I actually have a better shot to escape from side control than I have from, from guard. Guard is, is not a good place to be in modern MMA. You actually, with slippery bodies, have a better shot of getting out from side control and being able to get a knee in between and get a hook and maybe a sweep. And you only need some sort of a hook and then a foot on the hip and then a technical lift to stand up. That's all you really need. You don't, you don't need to sit there and try to play guard like Hoist Gracie. That's not going to work for you. It's just not. So, anyway, that is um, a little piece of uh, of what of what I saw relative to that fight. Frankie Edgar was great. He wants to get another shot at Jose Aldo or or Max Holloway, and probably the world would rather see him fight Max Holloway because we've already seen the former at least you know two times now, and it would. But then again, you know. It would be amazing to see Jose Aldo keep his streak going against the best striker. I mean, if I look at Jose Aldo's uh, resume, this has got to be, I mean, obviously the best striker since McGregor. Um, but if you discount that one 13-second mistake against McGregor, who knows how the rest of the fight would have gone. You know, obviously it wouldn't look for Jose, given the damage he's taken, he would have to really smash Connor with leg kicks. Um, he would have had to protect his, you know, in looking at the fight. If, if, you know, you know what? Let's let's just finish this up. Um, we'll just leave Frankie Edgar and Yair right there. But as we look at Connor and Jose Aldo, and what kind of game plan could have worked, you can't get touched by Connor. You almost can't get touched by his left hand. So you have to design your whole strategy around moving away, moving away, parrying, throwing, and and he would have to smash Connor in the leg with leg kicks because I'm certain that Connor does not have conditioned leg. Also, I know he's a good kicker, but I don't think his legs are conditioned to take something like what Aldo throws. And Aldo doesn't throw it a lot, but if he threw it, when he throws it and he lands it and he decides to do that in earnest, I mean, nobody's nobody's... Nope, there, there's not anybody who can really take a lot of those. Ask Kenny Florian about it. Ask Edgar about it. I'm, I'm positive when when Edgar trains with uh, Marlon Moraes or um, 
or Edson Barbosa that they're not kicking Frankie in the leg all the time because they're they're too powerful and if they are they've got padding on and he's got padding on so um so that that's you know what it would have taken for him to be able to get going against Connor and the reason to me that fight wasn't a fight I mean you know it never got going we never got to see either of them even land a couple strikes even move around the cage even take a shot wrestling even Clint nothing we didn't see anything we saw him come out dance throw one punch and it was over so um, yeah Connor won the fight but I still don't know is it more than likely that Connor probably would have knocked him out yes it's more than likely but I'm not a hundred percent sure on that I'm maybe 65 percent sure about that I still don't know who's the better fighter but unfortunately I don't think Jose Aldo will ever see Connor again unless he moves up in weight and he would probably have to do something on relatively short notice because I just don't think Connor's going to get into another six month thing where they're talking crap for three months and then they're traveling and then they're um, training for three months I just I don't I don't see that happening ever again it would be cool if it did uh, but it might have to be a short notice thing Jose Aldo doesn't do that kind of stuff and that's why for to some degree he's not in the favor that Connor is in the UFC because Connor will come in there injured um, and he'll come in there and fight, and he puts on a show and he wins. So, yeah, did he cherry pick? You know, uh, uh, did he cherry pick Eddie Alvarez uh, off the, you know, the bottom of the heap, more more or less? You know, of the lightweight division. I mean, yeah, sure. You didn't have to get in there with a monster like Tony Ferguson, or a monster like Rafael dos Anjos, or even as big a monster as Tony or close to it in, in Khabib Nurmagomedov, who's definitely going to take you down. So he, you know, he has not been in there with the best. And that's why to me, he's really not the lightweight champion. Um, in my mind, I mean, he beat a guy that's a really good fighter who knocked out Rafael dos Anjos, who was careless and had a really bad weight cut. But I don't think of him as the champion. Uh, I mean, he is in fact the champion. But I don't think of him the way I would. I thought of Jose Aldo at one time, the way that I thought of John Jones, the way I think of Daniel Cormier, the way I think of Joanna, the way I think of Demetrius Johnson. I don't think of Connor the way I think of those guys. Those guys, to me, are all champions. Guys that and gals that, that took on this person, took on that person, and won and won and won. Not somebody who won, uh, you know, who cherry-picked a guy. First of all, that wasn't his shot to get. That was Khabib's shot. And then if he, would have, if he beats Khabib or Tony, man, that guy's a champion to me. But until he beats them, in my mind, he's, he's a placeholder. But he's not a 155-pound champion to me. So um, that's... For whatever that whatever prejudices and etc are associated with that. Uh, looking at the news, uh, McGregor issues a statement on uh, on signing a historic contract to fight Floyd Mayweather. He's come to agreement with the Ultimate Fighting Championship, his quote unquote partner. Yeah, you know, partner is the way I would associate two people that are in the business 
that, that are together in business to promote something. And McGregor is in the business of promoting himself. And if the UFC helps him do that, that's fine. But he is not in the business of making the UFC great as a whole. He's in the business of making Connor the biggest superstar he can be and achieving his dreams and his goals. And if the UFC benefits from that, great. And he wanted to fight Jose Aldo, and he did, and he knocked him out. Great. Okay, he proved it. He beat a longtime champion in 13 seconds, and the UFC was the better for it. But if you talk about whether divisions were torn apart because of him and things like that, yes. And I don't think he cares about the rest of the roster and that's why that whole business model doesn't work so what the UFC is doing now where they just planned a fighter summit they're going to bring all the fighters out to um, and we actually went to one of these and met up with Claudio one time at the Red Rocks and they're going to do this again where they're going to have that I don't know where they're all going to stay or care but they're going to have them out to the new UFC facility where the training and performance and rehab stuff that they have there and uh, this whole new complex that they had started under the Fertitas and is now owned and completed by WME IMG um, they're going to unveil that to them and anything to get some positive press with the fighters is a good thing because this new UFC where fighters openly give the finger to Dana White and then are invited to come out and are flown out to um, this last UFC in the terms of Al Iaquinta and, and even his dad was out there um, was something that never happened. When you did what Al Iaquinta did to Dana White, you became Ben Astrin. You were cast out to the North 40 forever. And you, you didn't get back in. I mean, that's where... You know, that's what happened to Tito. That's what happened to, to Ben Askren, who is probably, you know, the best 170-pounder in the world outside of the UFC uh, and could be the best in the UFC for all we know. We don't know. He's so great, but he doesn't have any competition to face. Um, that guy is what happened under the Zufa-Dana marriage. Ally Quinta is what happens today under the WMEIMG UFC Dana relationship that he tells Dana F off who the F are you go F yourself multiple times on multiple mediums on shows live audio Twitter everything Instagram and then he gets flown out he has a meeting with the UFC and he ends up with his uh, with his dad and then he ends up being uh, a guest at uh, this most recent UFC event last weekend that is how things have changed so anything that can that can change fighters opinions about the UFC is a positive thing and I think that's what they're doing now this fighter summit where every fighter will be invited and uh, other than you know those who are in camp for a fight and that and will be uh, have all expenses paid for them to show up in Vegas and and sit and listen to some seminars that won't be uh, faked by Matt Hughes anymore or whatever. They'll actually 
uh, get to see a facility that they're going to have some use of. I don't know exactly what, but I think they're going to have some sports science, sports medicine type stuff going on there. Um, probably some nu nutrition stuff, probably some information about what to do relative to um, drugs and testing and all that. And probably a few guys will get in a fight as well. Um, so anyway, um, so that'll be interesting, but I really don't care, uh, about, um, about, uh, McGregor and Mayweather. If you, I'm not going to buy it. I mean, it, it it's a little bit interesting. I think, you know, I do think Connor has sort of a puncher's chance depending on the size of the gloves they have. If, if they have a smaller, you know, 10 or 12 ounce glove, you know, he's got a shot, but, um, uh, I really don't care, and I'm not going to spend a hundred dollars to buy the pay-per-view. If you are, as you know, one of my customers where I work said one time, and I was trying to tell him about a discount, and he said, "Oh, I'm rich. I don't care about discounts." I said, you know, la laughingly, you know, he's trying to be funny. If you're that guy with what they call disposable income, um, buy the fight and and watch. And I I would if I had disposable income to just throw a hundred bucks down and watch it. I'm sure I would. But I don't, and uh, and I'm not going to. So I'll catch the highlights somewhere, uh, and that'll be good enough for me because it's not germane to anything. Uh, if he wins, great. If he loses, is he's still going to fight MMA. He'll still be back in the UFC. And as I told Larry, uh, my friend from Pro MMA Radio and the guys, it's a it's all a joke. He's gonna he's definitely going to come back, and even. Eugene Robinson uh, on his show, on that Knuckle Up show, said the difference between guys like Tyron Woodley and Stephen Thompson and guys like McGregor is he's not fighting for the money, as, as Eugene said. He's already, I'm already rich. You know, I don't need to fight for the money. He's fighting for him, for his legacy, for his popularity, for be able to say, I'm the best. He's not fighting for. Uh, he's not fighting because uh, I'm, you know, I want. He goes. I mean, look at his performances. As Eugene said, have you ever seen him go out there and have a performance like Tyron Woodley and Stephen Thompson did? No, not even close. He goes out there, people go crazy. He sells out, man. Look at that fight with that second fight with Nate Diaz, man. Even the first, both fights, he totally sold out. He went out on his shield. I don't care if he tapped or not. I would tap too. If I was getting choked out by Nate Diaz, I don't need to go to sleep like, um, like uh, Holly Holm or anything. Um, not necessary. He went out. He went out. He gave it all he had. He ran out of gas, and that was that. But he didn't go out saying, "Oh, I danced around the cage and took, you know, a record low strikes per round." That's not the record you want to set. That's not McGregor. McGregor is. I'm coming after you. And I'm gonna smash you. I'm gonna kick your ass. And that's what he, that's what he does. Whether he wins or he loses, and most of the time, obviously he wins. But as uh, as Eugene uh, analogized it, he said it's the same thing. The the money, twenty five or thirty million, to you and me, we have a different relationship to it than Connor. He's already rich, as he said when someone said to Dave Chappelle. Man, you walked away from sixty million. He said, "I already got thirty million, so I'm rich already. I don't care about sixty because I got thirty, and thirty is enough for me." 
And we would never say that, but there are people in the position. And he, he also analogized Prince when someone said, do you care that this new record is not in the top 10? He goes, hey, dude, I'm rich. I don't care. I made the art. I put the art out there. If people buy it, they buy it. If they don't, great. I'm still rich. And that's the thing with McGregor. He wants to fight because he wants to be the topic of conversation. To say, I'm the best in the world. I never pull out. I, I come in and I take on anybody. And you could sit there and say, and I could say, uh, or people will say, and then Larry says, oh, he doesn't want to fight McGregor, or he doesn't want to fight Khabib. He's afraid of Khabib. He's not afraid of Khabib. He's not afraid of anybody. He thinks he can beat all these people. He thinks he can beat Ferguson. He thinks he can beat Khabib. He just doesn't think they're worth his time. Do I think he can beat those guys? No, I don't. <laughs> but I'm sure he does. His coaches might not, but he probably thinks he can beat them. So that's what you have to understand about the psyche of some of these people. Um, they don't. He doesn't fight for money. He fights for fame and glory. And there's not a thing wrong with that. That's just the way he is. Um, what else is there? You saw the whole thing about, uh, you know, um, Demetrius Johnson saying you got your ass beat up, grow the fuck up is the uh, one of the, I'm, I'm looking at uh, MMA fighting. You know, whatever, that's great. Um, nothing new. He's just, they're just pointing out that a UFC champion says the same thing that we've all said. I don't know why that's news uh, or why Rousey's going to care more that he said it than anybody else said it. Um, if she wanted to do something different, she would. And she doesn't because she doesn't care. Um, I don't know. There's a whole thing on the um, Chris Cyborg. Um, you know, she did uh, the Big Brown Breakdown with Brendan Schaub, which I'm sure is going to be a complete stroke piece. But Brendan stroking her ego for two hours and Ray Elby, her boyfriend. And I guess there is some reason to, um, you know, to stroke her ego. She is an incredible fighter, but I have said, and I'm going to close with this. We're going to close down the show now. There's not a ton of news that I really want to talk about right now that I can, that I can see that's super duper interesting. Some cowboy stuff, some crap between, um, between, um, uh, Daniel Cormier and John Jones, him saying John was always on PDs. I don't know if he was always on PDs, but he's incredible either way. And um, he is a cheat and he's a liar. And uh, Daniel should push that button as much as he possibly can. Um, but um, I'll close with this. I in Sometimes in life... We find things that are more bizarre because when you look at the construct of Hollywood, you basically, if you're a writer of note or you know somebody who is a in a, in a studio hierarchy of note, you can basically put pen to paper and write just about anything. You can be Mel Brooks and write something like Spaceballs or Blazing Saddles and people go, oh man, this is absolutely nuts. And... and you'll find an audience for it. You can you can see something like The Ring, you know, and something like Saw 1, 2, 3, 4, 17 that someone will want to go see people get cut up like my wife likes that. 
uh, or The Ring or all these horror movies or there's there's an audience for just about everything and there's so much crazy stuff that's out there and, and inevitably there's a consumer for it. The story of Chris Cyborg and her coming to the U.S. to where she is today is so bizarre that I don't think even the most imaginative screenwriter at UCLA Film School with a blank slate could write something as nutty as Chris Cyborg's story. And I myself have put the pen to paper to try to capture that of how freaking bizarre it is from her being embraced by the UFC by to having Dana White saying after you know she looked like Vanderlei Silva in a dress when she was on drug suspension to from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to Joe Rogan you know the comments between her and Rogan and so many things that have happened is just beyond imag- imagination to me um, then she's after her drug dis- suspension she's back with the UFC and they put her on a card where she's going to fight at 140 pounds and they're trying to get her down to 135 and she can't get there and all the drama with that and then they pay for George Lockhart after they had already paid for Mike Dolce to go down there and work with her and he felt she could make 135 if she had the right training regime and wasn't powerlifting etc and her diet etc etc and then she casts him out and during the second iteration they pay for George Lockhart to go there and live with her and watch her diet and then she has the whole thing where he puts her on something that uh, women, pregnant uh, um, women uh, that that uh, retains water, and then she, you know, has to get in this little oven to try to cut weight. And it's just then he she fires Lockhart after that fight where she beats um, uh, the young lady from the uh, from Sweden, I think it was. I can't think of her name right now. Um, it was after the Leslie Smith fight. It was her second fight in the UFC then they finally she says I want them to create me a division then they create her a division and then they ask her um, do you want to fight it um, one of these girls and she says I can't make weight in 11 weeks and so then she uh, pops positive for another banned substance but then they're able to get USADA to give her a uh, post uh, use TUE so it's and and so now she's again now she's telling the UFC she wants to be let go. It's absolutely bizarre. There's no you couldn't even write something like this. And even they asked somebody like Amanda Nunes, would you want to go up and wade and fight her? And she says no. She says Chris is bigger than me, which is another way of saying that because obviously they're both going to weigh in at the same weight, but it's another way of saying that perhaps that to some degree her weight is 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 ill-gotten gain of some sort um i have no proof of that other than that she has tested positive twice for things that were banned one of them being anabolic steroids but that but she's suggesting that saying she's bigger than me when obviously they're both going to weigh in at the same amount is saying that she believes she has ill-gotten gain and she doesn't want to get in there with somebody that has a physical advantage over her not a technical advantage that's everybody's getting in there with someone and they believe they have a their technical advantage is better than anybody's but she believes that Chris has a physical advantage over her 
and that's why she doesn't want to um, get in there with her. So it's it's so bizarre that it's <laughs> you couldn't even you know you really you can't even you can't even make it up. It's just so crazy. So anyway, all right. So we're gonna call that a wrap uh, for today, and um, I uh, hope to be back soon. With um, we'll get the audio figured out so that when we're recording on Skype. You're not hearing the tin can sound that uh, that you have heard, and uh, we'll keep going on this thing. We'll get Professor Brent back on. We'll get uh, Tristan Critchfield back on, and um, we'll bring in more guests. You know, as I go, you know, I'll keep inviting more and more people. We had Javier Vasquez on. I still want to get Nick Gulo on um, when it's a jiu-jitsu episode that we're going to do we also have we're we're looking at i've got a friend a professor of motion dynamics there at uh, long beach state will woo to come on and see maybe what we could find out about about that i want to get a yoga instructor on to just talk about what that's like because it's kind of an interesting dynamic between yogis and yoga instructors um uh, these people, the adulation that they get, it's all very interesting, and, and uh, I like to, that. And then maybe we'll have uh, Professor Wu talk about fight sports and motion dynamics. So uh, we really appreciate him listening to the show. So we love you guys. Uh, thank you very much for listening. It's at MMA underscore BJJ underscore and life on Twitter. Uh, Instagram, not yet, but we will. And... Um, as I say, uh, you know, as I say farewell, I'm the kind of person as I drive, I'm always wondering what's up around the bend. Just to drive to my baby.